Hello, welcome to a new episode of the Arduino Education podcast. Thank you for listening. We are hosts Melissa and Roxana from Arduino Education. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite audio platform and get notifications when a new episode is published and never miss one. You can find us from Spotify, Anchor and other common audio platforms. That's right. And today's topic, artificial intelligence and machine learning. So artificial intelligence is everywhere and the possibility is that you are using it one way or the other and you don't even know it. And one of the applications of artificial intelligence is machine learning and they are reshaping our world. So to learn more about these topics, joining us today is Pete Warden. Yes, and Pete Warden is an engineer, co-founder and CTO of Jetpack Inc., a startup that launched in 2012 that analyzes Instagram photos to build what it calls city guides for travelers. He's an O'Reilly author, blogger, builder of OpenHeatMap and the Data Science Toolkit and other open source projects. Pete has been a consultant to the New York Times, was a senior engineer at Apple, and currently he's a technical lead of the TensorFlow micro team at Google. Welcome, Pete. Thank you for joining. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Melissa and Roxana. It's great to be here. Thank you. We're so excited to uh, talk with you. We have we have learned ab about you before because uh, with this uh, machine learning kit that we have, and tiny machine learning, so very excited to have you today. And before the interview, we always start with the short questions for the Edivision Friends book. So let's start with the first one. What makes you feel inspired? <laughs> so the projects that I see people building, um, I am always um, have my mind blown by what the imaginations of people out there can actually conceive and the problems that they're able to creatively solve. Um, that is what really sort of keeps me keeps me going and gets me excited. Yeah, yeah. The, the other project gives you inspiration for your projects then. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> my project only exists to help people build other projects. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So what's one thing you wish you know when you began your career? For me, it's really that um, you don't necessarily know what you're actually going to be uh, working on for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Um, I started off um, in computers because I was really excited about getting into games and building games and programming games. Um, and that's still great. but you know, after the first few years, I realized that there were so many other things that I could actually be doing with computers that were really interesting and creative and fun. Um, so I, I wish I'd paid more attention to some of the other lectures in my computer <laughs> science course, <laughs> rather than just focusing on the ones I thought I might need for my like, you know, the, the, the first career that I had in mind. So uh, just being open to um, uh, lots of, uh, you know, possibilities, uh, I think I'd, I'd go back and tell myself. Yeah, that's fun to hear because for me, it was also the reason I went to study computer science was I want to be a game programmer. Didn't really go that way, but that was the, <laughs> no. the first plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, what's a common myth about your profession or field that you would like to set straight? Um, so the one thing I am really trying to work hard on is this idea that machine learning is something that you need to get a computer science PhD in to understand and to use. Um, I think that's just because 
we have been really bad at explaining what it is <laughs> and really bad at building tools that everybody can use. Um, my hope is that uh, by building simple examples that people can start playing with and can get into, they can realize that machine learning is just like any other programming tool. It's something you can play about with, you can experiment with, you can learn from experience. You don't have to understand everything that's happening under the hood. You don't have to be able to like design the new cutting edge models to be able to uh, effectively use machine learning. So I'm hoping to demystify uh, a lot of the um, kind of confusion and jargon that surrounds uh, machine learning. Yeah. Okay, let's hope this podcast helps with that. Yeah, yes. for sure. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you already talk about that you feel inspired by other people's project, but is there any people, book, resources that have been particularly influential for you? One that was really inspiration for me when I first joined Google back in 2014 was um, I met the team behind the, and I'm not going to say the full phase because it might trigger people's Android phones, but internally we call it OKG in meetings, mm -hmm. <laughs> the wake <laughs> word that you use to sort of start the voice interface. Um, and I was chatting to uh, Raziel Alvarez, who was um, at Google at the time, he's now at Facebook, and he did a lot of the work around the machine learning model that runs on everybody's phone um, to actually listen out for that phase. Um, And what blew my mind was it was 13 kilobytes in size. And it was running on this, it runs on a whole range of tiny little DSPs. Um, and, you know, at the time I was feeling pretty happy because I'd managed to get a model running on a mobile phone on the application processor in like three megabytes. So the fact that there was a really useful kind of an essential part of uh, the phone that was using machine learning, was using deep learning, and was actually able to do something useful in just 13 kilobytes, that just um, blew my mind and really stuck with me uh, and got me thinking about, okay, what else, what other problems can we solve with models that are really small that are able to run on these kind of tiny low power uh, devices? Um, so that was really a, a, a super inspirational moment for me. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that has stuck with me ever since. Nice. Yeah. Sounds pretty awesome. And then the last one of the friends book questions, tell us something interesting about yourself. Most people don't know. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. So my name, um, Uh, Peter Warden is an anagram of warp entered, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't think my parents thought about at the time, <laughs> I'm guessing, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I like that. That's, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that, for sure. that, that, that's an anagram I like having. So <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. <laughs> nice. All right. So, so Pete, we were looking at your blog. And uh, we, we found that you have on the header a quote by Samuel Beckett that reads, ever tried, ever fail, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. Could you tell us more about what this quote means to you and what do you think about failure? 
yeah um that's that's a good question and it's it's a little tricky to talk about sometimes because i'm now uh you know a a well-paid sort of you know google engineer and so it's pretty easy for me to say oh you know just uh, don't worry about failure just keep trying stuff uh it would have been a lot harder when i was working kind of stacking shelves at quicksave <laughs> and you know living you know living with um a lot less kind of margin for error um but the big thing that i've found is um it Oftentimes, the projects that actually crashed and burned are the ones where I actually learned the most about, um, you know, what I should be doing to make things work. Um, and actually um, trying to figure out ways where you can test an idea as quickly as possible. And you know, actually getting to failure is a lot better than having something that just kind of sits in a closet for, you know, months or years and never actually gets tested. Um, so trying to really work towards um, that whole idea of uh, does this work or not and being kind of excited when something proves out that it doesn't work because that means, okay, you've you can actually, you know, move on and uh, do something else. There's another quote, again, um, a little bit cheesy, maybe, but um, uh, I think it was Edison who talked about um, he he wasn't figuring out one way to um, build a new night light bulb. He was figuring out like a thousand ways not to build a light bulb, and then that actually leads to um, you coming up with a way that works. Um, so I guess at the heart of it is I'm trying to get um, students to understand that for all of us, we're actually um, figuring stuff out as we go along. Um, and they shouldn't feel bad if they can't get something working or if they're struggling with something because there's nobody out there who it comes like completely naturally to um, the people who seem to do things like, you know, seamlessly with, you know, never hitting a hitch. They're just much better at hiding the, uh, <laughs> the mistakes. So um, yeah, that's. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, something you mentioned already, like you've learned maybe most from your biggest failures. Is there some, uh, some example that you could share with us? <laughs> well, going back to games, I worked on a game called Formula One 98. Um, and it was the um, successor to Formula One 97, which was a really, uh, really good game, really successful. Um, but Formula One 98, uh, we only had something like nine months to do it in. We were a new team. Um, we decided to write it from scratch. Um, <laughs> And I think it's still out on Wikipedia as like one of the one of the worst reviewed games. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it, it. Really, you know, they, we we had things like they put on the back of the box that there was going to be pit crew, and this was on back on a PlayStation One, and we only like realized that right towards the end of development, 
and we had no sort of like polygon budget. So we have these um, like, you know, sort of things that look like, you know, they're like five polygons, literally kind of like picking up these like wheels that are square because we didn't have any polygons for the tires <laughs> and like putting <laughs> them on and they've got like two frames of animation and it's just this whole, <laughs> but because, because we were so pressed for time, uh, I actually ended up having to do all sorts of different, um, like I was a very junior programmer then, but I ended up just being handed all of this stuff to work on. Um, and I just had to sort of figure it out as we went along. Um, and I got to see, you know, I got to make a lot of mistakes and see, oh, that's why you don't do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, check, check, check it out on, uh, Formula One 98, uh, PlayStation One. Um, it's, uh, pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> we will. <laughs> yeah, I'll try. Yeah. And how can we fail better? Um, the one thing uh, that I really like doing is just trying to keep notes for myself as I'm going along. Um, and my blog is kind of a way of forcing myself to write notes about things I've done and to kind of leave a trail of breadcrumbs, both for other people, but also for myself. Um, and I saw, uh, again, I, I feel like I'm sharing a lot of cheesy quotes uh, today, but <laughs> I saw one on Twitter that um, science is just messing around plus notes. Um, <laughs> and so if you're actually able to kind of, you know, just explore uh, and try a lot of stuff, but actually uh, do it in a way where you're actually uh, keeping track of what you've tried and actually uh, really leaving a record and like learning as you're going along, um, that I find to be uh, really, really helpful. Yeah, yeah. True. and I think notes are also good so you don't do the same mistake again. So you can go yes. back, yeah, I already tried this one. And yeah. it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Always, always try to do new mistakes. That's yeah. Uh... yeah, exactly. That's that's really good. Then if we move on from failure to machine learning and your work at Google. So if you could tell us a bit more about your role at Google at the moment. Sure. Um, so when I uh, joined Google, um, it was right uh, before TensorFlow, when TensorFlow was just being kind of uh, started um, internally. Um, and I was the, um, my startup that got acquired had been doing a lot of work around machine learning on phones. So running on Android, iOS, and like Raspberry Pi. Uh, which was pretty unusual at the time because, you know, it was mostly thought of as something that you run on the data center with GPUs and, you know, gigabytes of memory. Um, and so I had kind of some experience getting models small enough and getting the code running fast enough on these, you know, handheld devices. Um, so I became the uh, person who dealt with all of the, you know, it was a very small team at the time, um, you know, sort of, you know, I think 10, 15, something like that of us uh, before TensorFlow's launch. And I sort of became the person who was responsible for getting TensorFlow running first on Android and then on iOS and then eventually on the Raspberry Pi. Um, and it was 
pretty amazing when we launched TensorFlow. It, you know, I think the timing was right because it, a lot of people um, really started diving into it. Um, and we started getting a lot of usage inside Google and outside Google. Um, and uh, we had a lot of people who wanted to do um, uh, machine learning models on uh, mobile phone and like Raspberry Pi type devices. Um, so I spent a few years kind of helping support that. Uh, TensorFlow Lite was kind of one of the results, which is aimed at sort of uh, smartphones and that sort of level of device. But my discussion with Raziel, which I mentioned before about that 13 kilobyte model uh, that was running OKG, that always stuck with me. Um, and I really wanted to get back into uh, working on uh, that and seeing where we could take that sort of technology. Um, so after kind of helping get the mobile side of TensorFlow up and running, I uh, managed to get some support from our management to focus on what we call a moonshot, like a research moonshot within Google. That was, hey, how small can we make uh, a machine learning framework? Um, as we well know on the Arduino and all of these sorts of devices, you might only have a few hundred kilobytes or even less uh, space to actually run your programs and do your models in. Can we actually build something um, that's going to be compatible with TensorFlow training, but can actually run on these devices and also the kinds of devices that run kind of the OKG um, you know, all these DSPs and things like that. Um, so I got a year and some resources to kind of go away and uh, experiment with that. Um, and that experimentation became TensorFlow Lite Micro. Um, so uh, I managed at the end of the year to actually have a version of TensorFlow Lite that was small enough, um, could fit in less than 20 kilobytes, um, and also didn't have a whole bunch of dependencies on things like threads and files and memory allocation and all of these other things that are very hard to uh, access when you're running on a platform that has an RTOS instead of kind of like, you know, more like a Linuxy, um, you know, fully featured OS. Um, and that has, uh, you know, we released that, I think, a couple of years ago. Um, we've had a bunch of internal products that have been using it within Google. Uh, we've had a bunch of people picking it up um, outside of Google as well. We've been able to work with ARM and Cadence and Qualcomm and Siva and a lot of other, in like uh, Synopsys and a lot of other hardware manufacturers who've contributed optimizations into the code. So we've actually had a lot of contributions to help machine learning run faster. Um, and yeah, I, I've, I've remained as the kind of, uh, you know, person trying to sort of help us uh, move this forward as the team has grown. It's quite a journey. Yeah, no, it's, it's really <laughs> from, from that, like, you know, moment of talking to Raziel, I, you know, I'm really, I'm really glad I've managed to sort of actually explore some of these ideas. 
Yeah, for sure. But uh, as we mentioned at the intro, uh, we hear now like machine learning everywhere. Machine learning is 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 uh, training algorithms. But what is machine learning and what it is used for? What kind of problems we can solve with machine learning? There's a few different flavors of machine learning. Um, one of them is really good for structured data. So often using things like random forest. Um, and if you have signals that are very clean, you know, like a temperature signal or some other sort of sensor that's giving a very sort of, you know, straightforward sort of understandable um, uh, reading or something that you might have in like a spreadsheet, um, running traditional machine learning is usually pretty good for those problems. And that's not what TensorFlow Light Micro uh, focuses on or what TensorFlow focuses on. What TensorFlow focuses on is more around deep learning, which is um, sort of a branch of machine learning that really started to become prominent um, sort of in the last uh, decade or so. And what that's really good for is it's great at taking really noisy signals and finding patterns in them. So if you think about a an image, for example, you've got all of these, like, you know, the soup of pixels and um, trying to use traditional kind of rules to sort of tell if something is a cat or a dog in this soup of pixels is really, really um, difficult uh, and basically was an unsolved problem. Uh, like computer vision never really worked up until you know, 2010. And I, I spent years working in the division before then. So I, I kind of know how painful it was. Um, the sort of deep learning that TensorFlow Light Micro is good at is actually great at finding, you know, those patterns in noisy data, taking an image and saying, hey, is this a cat or a dog? Or in the example we have, is there a person in this image? Um, and the same thing goes for audio data. Uh, you know, the OKG example, um, trying to spot, hey, did somebody say a particular word? Because if you like look at the waveforms of people talking, it's this kind of massive noise and it can be pretty hard to see the pattern. Um, but deep learning is great at spotting those patterns. And the same for accelerometer data. Again, that's this kind of like noisy kind of can be hard, you know, using traditional techniques to spot the sort of gestures or whatever it is that you want in that data. But deep learning is a great way of, again, spotting patterns. So as you think about the problems that can be solved, um, honestly, if you can solve a problem another way using like procedural programming languages, uh, you know, writing recipes for the computer, telling the computer which rules to follow, um, you should do that because, you know, that's going to be more straightforward. Or if you can use traditional machine learning techniques because you've got a problem that's amenable to them. Um, but what's exciting about deep learning is you can apply it to all of these problems that we weren't able to really tackle before. And you talk about these topics on your book that was published last year called Tiny Machine Learning, Machine Learning with TensorFlow Lite on Arduino and Ultra Low Power Microcontrollers with Daniel Sitanayaki. This book is ideal for students and for software and hardware developers who want to build embedded systems using machine learning. 
It walks readers through creating a series of tiny machine learning projects. But can you tell us what means tiny machine learning? So tiny machine learning is this idea that um, you can do something useful in just a few tens of kilobytes. Um, and uh, everybody, I think, who's on this call is probably familiar with Arduino boards. Um, but, you know, a lot of the world isn't. Um, so you kind of, you know, a lot of the audience here will understand, hey, yeah, you actually need to kind of go through some contortions in order to shrink down your code to fit on something like an Arduino. Um, so really, TinyML is this idea that you can um, do useful things in uh, a very small amount of memory and with a very small amount of compute. And what follows from that is that you can then actually have these devices that are out there, you know, potentially recognizing a speech with like a voice interface or recognizing when there's a person nearby, or maybe they're recognizing that there's wildlife nearby or crop pests nearby using a camera or, you know, recognizing that a package has been sort of, you know, uh, shaken and damaged uh, because the accelerometer has picked this up. Um, and you can have these devices actually running on a battery or energy harvesting using solar um, for, you know, uh, months or years um, because you've managed to get this running on these super low power, low cost devices, basically taking computing out of the realm where you it's something you carry around in your pocket as a phone and being able to kind of put it in the environment around us and in the world around us, even if you don't have the ability to charge or change batteries or plug into the mains. So then we can say that machine learning, running on tiny machine learning, it's like a transforming technology because it solves, uh, it solves much of the, many of the problems that we see in machine learning, like power consumption, like you can run it this in the edge, infer inferencing and all of this stuff, right? Yeah, and it's also really interesting from the embedded side because one of the um, issues we have is that we have these sensors that are able to capture massive amounts of data. We, you know, microphones, uh, simple like low power cameras, accelerometers. Um, but if you want to send that data to the cloud, you have to fire up a radio, and the radio is going to burn, you know, maybe at least 50 milliwatts continuously, um, you know, even if it's something like BLE um, and uh, potentially a lot more if it's kind of trying to do cell communication, you can easily get into the hundreds of milliwatts. Uh, whereas running um, compute on a device and doing the computation of uh, a machine learning model can easily sort of fit within like one milliwatt. Um, so if you actually want to run something on a battery, you can't afford to have the radio running all the time and streaming all the sensor data. So machine learning and the deep learning approach actually gives the opportunity to do something intelligent with that data on the device, run it locally without having to have the radio running. And then only if there's something interesting happening, for example, oh, I'm a sensor in a crop field and there's a pest, then it can just fire up the radio 
and uh, you know send you know send a message through sort of you know some kind of LoRaWAN or some satellite connection or cell connection or whatever it is, and say hey something important has happened, um, and then like the rest of the system can take action. Um, but it's really this idea of being able to build tiny intelligent systems that can run for a long time on uh, battery power. Maybe this is kind of new when you start working with machine learning and machine learning at school. Do you think this could become easier for everyone in the near future to start learning about this? Yeah, and I think uh, tools like Edge Impulse, uh, you know, I think that's a fantastic um, you know, platform and a way of uh, making life easier for people getting stuff up and running. Um, and I am seeing a lot more, uh, you know, a lot of it is just documentation and tutorials and people sharing their own projects that they've built and putting stuff up on GitHub. Um, and uh, just being able to Google um, for solutions um, so having people, you know, putting their own, you know, blog posts or Stack Overflow answers or whatever it is um, out there, um, that uh, just that natural process, um, I think, is starting to help make things better. Yeah, th that's true. There's a large community of machine yes. learning out there, right? So, yeah, they, you can reach out anytime and for sure you will find uh, an answer to your problem there. Yeah, true. And I have found the Arduino forums have been fantastic for me as well, because I've been like asking for, you know, help with like BLE, um, you know, trying to have a device, turn my Arduino Nano BLE into something that emulates a BLE keyboard and things. And I got some really helpful uh, pointers uh, from the community there. So um, that's a great resource as well. Yeah, true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you shared with us a site for TensorFlow Live for microcontrollers, and there are some projects. Would you like to explain some of the project or tell, uh, tell us more about this site? Yeah, so um, it's a Google I.O. Um, set of experiments that I worked with the Creative Labs team within Google uh, to do. Um, and what they're trying to do there is actually make um, the process of playing around with machine learning on an Arduino even easier um, by using uh, web pages uh, and JavaScript to actually communicate with the Arduino Nano um, and actually send models over from a web page and then have a web page that responds to, for example, you doing kind of like drumming gestures. Um, and, or you can also um, actually train your own model on the web page to actually recognize your own gestures as well. And all of this is without having to do a line of programming. Um, so it's really, you know, I think I talked about, uh, you know, towards the start, I really want to see uh, this kind of machine learning be a lot more accessible and people get a lot more comfortable. Um, so my goal was, and what we managed to put together was this idea that without even having to open up a, you know, an IDE or plug in a board, you could actually um, use a machine learning model on an Arduino and then train your own machine learning model and kind of get that experience and get 
kind of past that barrier of, oh, I've never done any machine learning. It's like, well, guess what? After, you know, half an hour of playing around with this, you've actually trained your own model. Um, and then you can start diving in deeper because it's all open source code. It's all sort of running on the Arduino. You can like fire up the ID and start looking at what it's actually doing under the hood, start experimenting and changing. And But hopefully you're starting from a place where you've actually got uh, some confidence. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So this is a great tip and place for people to get started if they're interested yeah. in this topic. Yeah. Just you need to have like a first success and yes, then you're on your way. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and uh, let's talk about the, the future of machine learning and tiny machine. So what are some new cases for edge AI and that we're going to see in the next few years? So one of the um, projects that I talked, you know, I talked about being inspired by uh, people's projects. Um, there's this awesome um, uh, project that uses uh, a small battery powered uh, device. I think it's an ESP32 in this case, um, but it's actually uh, looking at a water meter dial and using machine learning to read the values on the dial and then sending that information up to the cloud, um, you know, periodically. So by just putting this, uh, you know, small battery powered device, uh, kind of like pointing at any like water meter or gas meter or any other thing like that, you instantly turn it into a connected kind of smart meter um, without having to do any kind of big mechanical changes um to the device you know to the system itself that was the sort of thing i was hoping to see well i would never have thought of that application um oh. but it it instantly made sense once i saw it for sure. nice what about then what's next what's your next project <laughs> i mean <laughs> honestly it's just uh there's there's still um there's still plenty of things I want to fix <laughs> with TensorFlow like Micro. <laughs> um, you have your hands full. <laughs> exactly. I like we, we have we have a pretty healthy uh, bug list, which is um, at least how I that's actually how I um, over the years. Uh, that's how I tell if an open source project is actually being used, because <laughs> if it's being, if it's not being used, you never see any bugs. Um, True. Yeah, so we've got lots of bugs. So that's going to keep us busy, I think, for a while. Um, and, you know, I'm excited to see like new hardware is always coming out and it's getting like more efficient, uh, smaller form factor, more capable. Um, there's like neural network accelerators starting to come out of um, ARM and, you know, a bunch of the other companies as well, which will help us run more intensive models and solve more complicated problems. So uh, that's uh, that's going to keep us busy for a while, I think. Nice. For sure. So, and any uh, resources or other recommendations for our audience? Yes. So, I, I think we mentioned um, I've got a book out there, the Tiny ML book. Um, there's actually also a free course based on a course that um, me and uh, a colleague, uh, VJ, um, actually taught at Harvard uh, last year. Um, and there's a free edX course that you can take. Um, you you can pay if you want to get a certificate out of it, but if you just want to take the course itself, um, it is it is free. 
And I highly recommend uh, giving that a try if you want to sort of dip your toes into uh, this area. Thank you. Thank you so much for this interview. Thank you for joining and thank you. Thank you for the time. It was really fun. No, thank, thank you for having me. It's been really interesting. We were looking forward to see more of your projects and learn more about machine learning. For sure. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, tell us what do you like about this uh, today's topic and give us a review. Enjoy the conversation on Eduvision Live episode on Thursday, October 14 at 5 p.m. Central European Summer Time. And you can comment and participate on the live chat on our social media channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Crowdcast. Yes, and if you have your own machine learning project, you can share it with us using the Edivision site. We have their form. You can, of course, check the, after, the episode afterwards and find all the links from arduino.cc slash education slash Edivision. Exactly. And next episode, we will talk about the UN development goals and how technologies like Internet of Things and artificial intelligence are helping to meet these goals with our guest, Marco Senaro. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.